There we go. Hello, everybody. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the Weekly Promotional Malpractice Live Chat. Today is Wednesday, November 26th, 2014. Uh, check it out, everyone. I got a new phone. I got the new um, Galaxy Note 4. I wouldn't call myself a tech nerd, but, you know, I like to read The Verge and, and Gadget and things like that. Um, and I have to say, if you've never had the Galaxy Note 4, it might be the best one I've ever had. And I always try to get top-of-the-line phones because I'm a loser like that. But if you don't have, if you're in the market for a new phone with like Christmas coming up or whatever the case may be, the Galaxy Note 4 is absolutely incredible. Uh, and no, they're not paying me, although I wish they were. Today on the live chat, we have the Conor McGregor versus Frankie Edgar debate. To me, the most interesting debate going on right now because it's not about which, it's not about arguing who gets what. Because in the end, it, I actually think that if you want to talk about meritocracy as we understand it in mixed martial arts, they both have a pretty good case, which I'll explain more. But that to me is a really, really interesting debate about all the things that it means. We'll talk about that in terms of them two fighting each other, but who gets the title shot at, in the featherweight division. We will talk a little bit about Metamorphs 5. Some of you all don't want to hear about it anymore, so I won't go too much into it. Plus, I went into it on the new little mini podcast that I do, which is called the MMA, the Monday Morning Analyst. If you want a lot of Metamorphs talk, go to that. Talk a little bit about Pacquiao Algeria if you want to talk about that or whether he'll fight. Mayweather, really whatever you want to talk about, get your questions in and we'll get to it. You can do that on MMAfighting.com. Please follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. Um, you may also email me at Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com or uh, that's about it. But best place to leave your comments are on MMAfighting.com. Um, there we are. Got a new haircut. Not too bad, right? Pretty cool. The lady who cuts my hair... Um, she quit her job at the place that was actually nearby here. And so now I get her to come to my house to cut my hair. How cool is that? And it costs less when she does that. Pretty happy about that. Uh, not that you care or that that matters. Um, if, oh, last thing I'll say. If you could be so kind as to share either this YouTube link, which you should give a thumbs up to, or the MMA Fighting link on social media, on Reddit, on SureDog, on MixedMartialArts.com and Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else, I'd be hugely appreciative. With that... Let's get going, shall we? All right. Uh, by the way, here are the poll results that I have updated. So I asked at the top of the post, who should get the next title shot at featherweight? Choice A was Conor McGregor. Choice B was Frankie Edgar. As it stands right now, and this may change, but as the moment I'm speaking to you, 62% want Conor McGregor. That's about 163 votes. And then 38% want Frankie Edgar. That's about 101 votes. Um, you know, this is hardly a scientific poll, but I thought I'd put one up nevertheless. And we'll break all this down in a minute. All right. First question. The quality of athletes in MMA. Do you find it hard to introduce MMA to friends? I don't introduce MMA to friends anymore. <laughs> Um, I try to make MMA the last thing I introduce. With hockey, boxing, basketball, etc., you can show them to an uninitiated sports fan, and even if they don't like the sport, they can appreciate the athletic abilities of the participators. You mean participants. In MMA, I find it's much less often the case. I remember introducing a friend of mine to watch MMA with UFC 159, specifically the Phil Davis-Vinnie Magalhaes fight. It was so painful to watch, they gasped like crazy. The striking technique was atrocious, and it was very hard to argue that these guys were elite athletes. I would argue that they are. There are some fighters that definitely look and perform like athletes, Ben Henderson, Anthony Pettis, Jose Aldo, John Jones, but there are also a lot of elite fighters that just don't look like athletes, Jones, such as OSP. He's an athlete. 
Jake Shields, he's an athlete. Eric Silver, he's an athlete. Guys who either have aesthetically sloppy technique or fatigue ridiculously quickly. Do you think this is reflective of the quality of athletes competing in MMA, the grueling nature of the sport, or something else entirely? Uh, it's probably a, a number of things. I think, you know, certainly NBA players are all tattooed, but they're also 6'8", 6'9", and they move like gazelles. Uh, they are better athletes, I think, than the majority of MMA fighters, so there's that. Um, but I, to, to the point being is that they look like a lot of these guys just, you know, I don't agree with this assessment, but if you talk to the average person on the street who doesn't know much about mixed martial arts, they might tell you that a lot of MMA fighters look like felons, you know, guys who could have been extras on Oz or something. Um, again, I'm not endorsing that viewpoint, but I certainly don't deny that it exists. So there's that. But I think really what the key to that is, is one, you know, there's just this really systematized process to get to the elite NFL level, right? So if you want to compete as a right guard or a wide receiver, for example, here in D.C., if you want to be Deshaun Jackson um, or Pierre Garçon, right, there's a whole lot of things you have to do to get there, a, a lot of weeding out processes that you have to um, transcend and move beyond and move through, really. And so people sort of generally accept that once you get to that level, it's sort of been, you've been vetted, as it were, right? This is a vetted candidate to compete at an elite level. And so if you're even, let's say, like Deshaun Jackson, one of the better wide receivers in the league, there is this presumption about your athleticism. You wouldn't be able to do those things because there's a general sense and awareness that these guys are elite. So to be elite among those elite, because all those guys in the NFL for the most part, I mean, not all of them, but a huge chunk of them are going to be pretty ridiculous athletes. And if you're one of the notch above them, you're a very special guy. Look at, the, look at that ridiculous catch, Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, just insane. I mean, the guy caught it with three fingers like he was throwing a baseball. You know, a, a ridiculous degree of athleticism. I don't think that folks understand that. I don't think that the vetting process in MMA is anywhere near as difficult. But certainly by the time you get to the very elite level, you know, when you're headlining UFC cards, chances are you're probably a pretty good athlete. Um, there's different kinds of athleticism that I don't think folks take into account. But also, I think there's also something you should just keep in mind. A lot of folks, and it's not the most wrong view in the world, they don't view fighting as a sport. They view fighting as something that happens on world star hip-hop or when people have too many beers at a ball game. Fighting is what happens in the stands, not in the arena. They, don't, they can't comprehend the idea that you can athletically treat and prepare for and compete in fighting for sport. They just have a lot of difficulty with that, um, either because they make judgments about the kind of uh, athlete they are or what sort of psychological makeup they might have. Um, they just don't treat it the same. Uh, even if they might grant some exceptions, oh, well, look at Yoel Romero or look at John Jones and his two brothers who play in the NFL, clearly these guys come from pretty good genetic stock you know um it's not a coincidence that john jones is arguably the best fighter alive and that both of his brothers play in the nfl right they got some pretty damn good genes but um you know so this wider view is is a little bit harder to to present to people i'd also argue that a lot of guys who fight aren't very good athletes fighting is a weird thing i mean look at michael westbrook michael westbrook was a fighter or i'm sorry was a uh well he was a fighter too but Michael Westbrook started out as this wide receiver for, um, for the Washington Redskins. And, you know, he had some bum years, had one good year. But you get the idea, he eventually washed out of the league. Listen, he's a very good athlete. Athleticism was not his issue. Uh, not much, anyway. And, you know, Travis Brown beat the brakes off of him, right? So, partly what makes you excel in fighting is athletic gifts. George St. Pierre being a chief example. 
But there also can be guys who can really make up for athleticism, or even if they're good athletes, add to that athleticism. You know, look at BJ Penn. There's a certain amount of barbarism. There's a certain amount of willingness to go through that kind of thing. It's a hard way to make a buck. Um, and there is a certain psychological makeup to it that makes guys a little bit different who do that. The tolerating of that kind of punishment, the kind of interest you have in hurting someone that way. These are not automatic things. Lots of guys wind up going, I want to train MMA. And they go into the gym and then they figure out they don't like hurting people. They don't like getting hurt. And they might be great athletes. Everyone's not built like that. And so there is partly some validity to the argument, while also some other things that contribute to um, an inability to properly understand MMA for what it is. But, you know, understand there's better athletes in the NFL, like by a million miles. All right, let's get into it. Aldo versus Edgar or McGregor. I think this is the most interesting debate going on right now because it, it's not just it. It's, there's so many angles to it. Okay, so here's the question. Luke, I'm hearing a lot of arguments for both men to be given the chance to fight Aldo for the next title, for the title next. Excuse me. Could you discuss the pros and cons of each fighter getting the shot for us? I think the UFC should match Edgar against Aldo and have Lamas face the winner of Connor and Seaver for the next in line. Also, I keep hearing the possibility of Connor selling out a stadium, Aviva 55K, uh, blah, 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 for a title fight. Is this realistic? I do think it is realistic. Would Aldo really go to Ireland to defend his title, or would, should he use his champion privilege and insist on having a homeland advantage? This is a fun little debate, isn't it? Because we often speak of meritocracy in mixed martial arts. And what we really mean by that is resume. What have you done? But the truth is we all know that it's much more that meritocracy is a much more expansive definition. Um, and you also have to weigh what version of meritocracy you matter because they're not diametrically opposed. Like in some ways they align. Uh, in some ways um, you can hold parts of both. But you also have to measure that against the state of the sport, both in individual nations and collectively. And to me, what is interesting here is, if you want to argue resumes, I don't think you're going to get very far trying to compete against Edgar. And I know folks were saying otherwise. I, I just think you're categorically wrong. Sorry. Um, I think that Charles Oliveira is better than anyone McGregor has beaten, saved uh, Dustin Poirier, and the Cub Swanson win is better than that. Now, you can say, well, you know... Uh, Dustin lost in two minutes, roughly, to Conor McGregor. Doesn't this prove since Conor McGregor, excuse me, since Poirier and Swanson had a very long fight, and Cub and Dustin, excuse me, and Cub and Edgar had a long fight? Doesn't this prove that sort of the McGregor's win is better? No, not really. I mean, in some ways, yes. In some ways, you don't want to overstate things. I mean, yes, putting a guy away in two minutes sort of really counts for a lot. On the other hand, um, could have been an off night. Styles make fights. Uh, different guys match up differently doesn't mean that then he, he that just because he beat Poirier easier than Cub did that he could all of a sudden just walk in and beat Cub in a sort of similarly you know uh, easy fashion. This is not the case at all. It's not how MMA works. Each matchup is its own little universe in some ways. So while you have to give credit for him putting away Poirier that way, it's simply not enough. It's just not enough. Um, you could also argue that the only reason that that Edgar is even at featherweight is because he got hosed on two 
decisions against Ben Henderson. I thought he lost the Aldo fight pretty cleanly, but um, it was still competitive even up until the last round. Um, it was actually a better fight than I thought it was when I went back and watched it, to be honest. Although not nearly as good as the Mendez fight. But so, so that's, I, I just think on a resume argument, it's just not very strong in Connor's favor. Not that he said he has nothing going for him, just not nearly as much. Okay. Um, yet, on the other hand, there are some pretty compelling arguments for Connor. Look, there is something very, you have to admit it, even if you want to really say who has done enough to get another crack at Jose Aldo's belt, it's really sort of impossible to say it wouldn't be more exciting to see Conor McGregor. Unless you're a really diehard Frankie Edgar fan. I'm not saying that Edgar couldn't even beat him the second time. I think Edgar's one of these guys who just gets better with the matchups, you know. But, and he's proven that with the Gray Maynard and the um, BJ Penn trilogies. And, and, uh, and, and I also thought he did it with the Ben Henderson rematch. He fought much better the second time than the first time. I really think he got whore. He should be the lightweight champion or, you know, should have won that and then gone on to defend it anyway. But be that as it may, it's exciting. People, people who say it's, you know, it'll be good to get a fresh rotation in on Jose Aldo, they're not wrong. That is exciting. It's really, really exciting. It'd be kind of fun to see that, assuming he gets past Seaver, of course, which I think he will. Um, they also say, wouldn't it be good for, like, you know, developing Irish mixed martial arts business? This is also true. Uh, wouldn't it be good, really, if, if, if McGregor went to Brazil and they had that fight? Wouldn't it be better for MMA generally to have a big money fight in a foreign country where MMA is either strong or growing and could get better? And I wouldn't even put Brazil in that category. Wouldn't this be better? Yes. Yes, it would. <laughs> yes, it would. So then you begin to ask yourself, well, if we accept all these things, what do you do? I have I, I initially tweeted, you know, hashtag rally for Frankie Edgar because I thought that, you know, after beating Cub the way he did, that he just shouldn't be denied. And I don't think he should be denied. If I really had my way, I would give it back to Frankie Edgar. But I will tell you that at some point, I don't think that it matters. I don't think anybody else in that division can beat Frankie Edgar. I don't think Lamas can beat him. I don't think um, Bermudez can beat him. Cub can't beat him. Poirier can't beat him. I, don't, I think it's inevitable that Frankie Edgar gets another shot, be it this time or the next, you know. Um, and I do think it'd be good if Conor McGregor gave Aldo everything he could handle or even won the championship. To me, this is the question. Or rather, I should say, which way the UFC goes tells you a lot about what's really important to them. Because I think there's a cynical view out there that people would push to say, well... If they go the route of Conor McGregor, they're simply giving in to the almighty dollar. As if this is some sort of scandal. Folks, not revenue. Profit. Profit is down 40% this year. 4-0%. 40. You'd be foolish to not look to the dollar. But even then, it's really not that uh, crazy an idea. What did Bellator do this past event with Bellator 131. They engineered a card around enthusiasm, around fun. And you know what? It worked. Now, UFC has kind of pigeonholed themselves a little bit. I think there's more benefits to it than negatives, but they have pigeonholed themselves just a little bit because they're always trying to push themselves in the direction of being a a major sports organization. We want to be treated like the NFLs and the NBAs. And I think it's a noble mission. And in many ways, they've gotten much further than I ever thought they would. And I've talked about it before. I think one of the real things is, despite what I believe is incontestable decline in popularity of mixed martial arts, one of the better parts is it has been woven into the fabric of the sporting world. 
much more so than it ever has been. That, to me, is a real key achievement of Zufa that they never really get credit for. They all Actually, they get criticized for it, which I think is totally wrong. But um, that's what they want. Now, that pigeonholes them a little bit because in those organizations, they have a playoff system where, like Bellator of the old, you just advanced if you win. And MMA and prize fighting and boxing, they don't really work like that. So they're in this struggle all the time. Um, and that, to me, is interesting. That's one of the things that I want Bellator to do separate from UFC. I kind of want UFC to go a route where it's really mostly it's the best fighting the best with some exception. And Bellator just engineer a card around fun. If a guy doesn't deserve a title shot, you know, well, okay, fine, it doesn't. But do fans want to see it? Then put it on. You know, and there's a lot, there's a lot of compelling narrative there. Anyway, I've gone on and along about this, but to me, the really interesting question here is going to be which way they go. Because do they go to Connor and say Edgar's next no matter what? Do they go to Connor and say Edgar has to fight Lamas? Do they go to Edgar and say Connor has to fight Lamas? Do they go to Edgar and say Connor's next no matter what? What do they do there? Really, really interesting. And it will tell you a lot about their priorities. And even if the priority is they're going to go for Connor first, I would not be so naive to say that, well, they're just, it's an almighty cash grab. As if, you know, I understand it's a well capitalized and, you know, still successful organization. But when you lose that much money in one calendar year, listen, you got to give fans what they want. And honestly, who, who would really be that upset about giving a title shot to Connor when you understand all of what's going on in the general space, about wanting to push into Europe, about trying to reclaim a lot of lost money that they did this year, about trying to give fans fun. How many times have you turned on a Zufa card this past year and been like, this is just the same thing as it was on last week. What is so special about this? Why are they doing two events in one week? And you can cry all you want that this guy didn't deserve a shot. And you know what? I think Aldo would beat the brakes off McGregor, personally speaking. I can't predict the future, but that's my sense. And then he's going to have to fight all the Lamases, and he's going to have to fight the Edgars eventually, right? He's, he's pushing into a territory that he can't get back out of. So one way or the other, he's going to fight him. But would it really be that upsetting? Would it really be that upsetting to have a popular card? Would it really be that upsetting to, to build a new star? Would it really be that upsetting to grow MMA in, in a space where it's had a lot of troubles this past year? Is this the worst thing in the world? I don't know that it is. I don't think Frankie Edgar's going anywhere. He's not getting any younger, but he is right there on a title shot. I don't think anyone else in that division can beat him. Um, if they went towards McGregor, I wouldn't hate it. If they go towards uh, uh, Edgar, it seems to me just as fair. Pick the winner. Hendricks Lawler. Hendricks. Pettis Melendez. I think Pettis, but I just don't know. Rockhold Weidman. Uh, Weidman. Edgar Aldo. Um, I'd still go Aldo, I think. Dos Santos Verdum. Dos Santos Cruz Dillashaw. I'll go Cruz. Gus Rumble. I will go Gus. Jones, D.C. I don't know. Someone says you have to choose. Um, Jones? I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, Rory versus Hendricks. Lawler winner. Hendricks. Mendez, Edgar. Edgar. Pre-ACL tear, GSP versus Anderson Silva at 178. GSP. Me versus Brian Carraway in sport jiu-jitsu. Uh, Brian would win, for sure. I have more problems with little guys than big because they move faster. Uh, I'll answer this very quickly, then I'll move on. Metamorphs draws, because everyone does, apparently doesn't want to hear me talk about... No one wants to hear about... Uh, Minamoris. All right, I'll make it quick. I'll make it quick. Jesus, I didn't realize it was that much of a touchy subject. Did you watch the event on Saturday? Yes. 
As much as fun as it was to watch high-level competition on the show, I feel the lack of finishes and ultimately winners hurts Metamorphs. Uh, the Vinny match showed what was wrong, what I feel was wrong. Vinny gets to his pay no matter what, so he took his time and controlled a brown belt, whereas if the money was in the, in the submission, he would have pushed 10 times more aggressively to get it. Let's say Samoyce and Keenan were being paid $5,000 each. Why not guarantee them $2,500 each, and then the winner gets a sub $5,000 bonus? Surely this would encourage both men to open up more and put themselves in bad positions chasing the sub and the bonus. Um, I really think this whole idea, and this goes for, the, for UFC too, that, you know, giving guys these bonuses. I think it helps a little bit in terms of changing guys' game plans and strategies and, and, and results to get more action. I don't think it makes that much of a difference in the end, to be perfectly honest. I think guys are going to fight the way they fight if they're either risk-takers or they're not. Sometimes the bonus might cause a little bit of change. I don't really get the sense that it, it does a whole hell of a lot. Um, as for the draws, and again, I'll make this quick. I think the draws aren't necessarily what bothers me. I just think the idea that you have all these jiu-jitsu organizations popping up and they're all trying to solve the problem of how to make jiu-jitsu exciting, which I think you can make it more exciting and a more spectator-friendly sport. It is more popular than ever, by the way. And that's why you're seeing all these organizations pop up. But to me, I'll just argue this forever and ever. I have nothing against sub only. I think it can be very interesting. But submission only really only works when it's no time limit. And no time limit is not very spectator friendly. It's hard to finish a guy in a sub only format when he's as good as Keenan Cornelius. It's very, very difficult to do. Okay. The best way to do that is no time limit. And that ones of getting you matches at a 45 hour, hour and a half long. And that can not be very good for spectators. I think the real answer, and this I get it from wrestling, the real answer, have points, have finishes, have aggressive anti-stalling uh, referees, aggressive anti-stalling penalties, aggressive anti-stalling rules. Keep the guys moving. That's the way you do it. I, I, I just don't see this argument that net sub-only solves for the problems inherent in points. The, what solves the problem inherent in points is um, getting rid of stalling, because sub only with twenty minutes just doesn't work as a as a as a as a uh, it's not just, it's not a final alternative. It doesn't solve what is wrong with the point system. All right, there you go. Who should get the next shot at featherweight division? There we go. Talked about this already. Which prominent fighter cuts the most amount of weight between, you should say, well, whenever it's more than two, it's not between, it's among. Among. Jose Aldo, Conor McGregor, Chris Weidman, and Mark Hunt. Uh, well, it's proportional, not aggregate. So either Aldo or Weidman. Brock Lesnar and Bellator. I heard it discussed on last Friday's MMA beat the possibility of Brock heading to Bellator. I'd bring him in to fight once, maybe twice a year for pay-per-views. I think with B-level heavyweights in Bellator, it would make for some great fights for Lesnar. Do you think Bellator should push themselves hard financially to bring Brock in? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, one, I think it would finally... Again, I don't think Bellator is really a competitor to the UFC in the same way that Strike Force may have been. I've gone over this reason a thousand times. So I won't get back into it, but take that as a fact. But any kind, any kind of competition, however minimal... Is good for the consumer base, and it's certainly good for UFC. They are good competitors. I really think that part of this international expansion has been a thought experiment of theirs. But the other part is that they've done it in a space where they've had really no competition. Competition will force them to rein things in and make a stronger effort on quality control, which I think is missing right now, or at least not as strong as it could be. Um, now, the early part of 2015 looks like it's going to be a great start. Awesome. hope it stays exactly that way. 
But over time, this amount of events dramatically affects quality control. And so I think some kind of competition and having Lesnar pulling maybe, you know, we don't know what he'll do, but maybe four, five, six million people um, in the right kind of moment would be great for them. So there's that. Um, you know, can they afford it? Do they get back into the Fedor situation with M1 where some people thought that buying Fedor sunk them? I think that, I wouldn't call that a myth, but I think that argument is largely overplayed. Uh, I think it did a lot for Strike Force. Um, I think they always kept their costs pretty low. To be perfectly honest, again, I'll, I'll shout them out. John Nash did a whole series on this about whether it was true that signing Fedor like financially sunk them. It's not really all that true. Not to say that he wasn't um, expensive and that it didn't come with certain costs. In addition to financial, it did. But it also did a lot in terms of raising their profile in ways other fighters and, and other fights never had the chance of doing. And, so, and that itself also paid dividends. Um, Lesnar in the right sort of circumstance could be that guy for them. Um, so no, I don't, I don't know if he wants to be the organization's champion or anything like that. Oh, I suppose he could. It looks like Minikov. I don't know what's going on with him. I heard he's having troubles returning to MMA, but, but yeah, I think it'd be huge on free TV, Lesnar fighting. He could sell enough that it would still set records for Bellator because, you know, he was never strong at the gate, but he would be strong for them at the gate. You know, if you can get 10,000, that's pretty big. It would allow them to go to a new market and see Bellator. It's just, listen, who could make Bellator visible? That's really the key here. No one knows what Bellator is. I remember when there was War Machine issues going on on my local radio station that I listened to, 106.7 The Fan, the one I used to be on, and they were talking about War Machine that he fought in Bellator, and they were like, they hadn't even heard of that. That's the problem that they have to fix. They have to really sort of create brand identity, not just you know, get hardcore fans to like them on Facebook. That, that doesn't matter. Um, and, and I just, you know, as much as I think Lesnar's power might be diminished in some respects, I just think that would be really, really different. You know, they saved the best stuff for Lesnar on pay-per-view. The best stuff Bellator could offer would still be free on TV. Now, the question is, is that good enough to get 6 million people? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Lesnar returning to MMA for the first time since leaving, it'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Pacquiao versus Mayweather. Will this fight happen? I've got a feeling that Floyd will hold it off until his 50th fight when he is free of his Showtime contract and holds all the cards. Well, first of all, that's definitely true. He could easily do that. Here's the part. I mean, listen, I don't know. I mean, until there's a contract in place, it seems to me sort of all ridiculous talk. But the one thing I'm really skeptical of is you saw all these like boxing writers coming out understandably frustrated saying, well, I mean, Jesus Christ, I don't want to see Pacquiao fight yet another, you know, not just Chris Algieri, but another Algieri-like you know, nobody. He's not a nobody. The guy be Russell Provodnikov, but you get the idea. Just some, it's just somebody. Yes, he's very good. Yes, that's great. But is he somebody? Is he somebody I care about? Is he a name? I want to see Pacquiao versus a name. And I don't want to see Mayweather in a second Maidana fight that nobody wanted. It did commercially all right, but there was just... I remember during the pay-per-view, I was on Twitter, and people were like, oh, my God, who cares about this stupid fight? And as Jack Slack pointed out, you know, getting a bigger ring so he has more space to move. It was just terrible. It was just terrible. So listen, I don't know if they can make that fight. I think Mayweather would want so many conditions, you know, he'd make it untenable. These guys don't want to fight each other. The question is, will they for other reasons, monetary being probably chief among them. But the one argument that they always made was like, okay, there's nobody left. I don't care. I don't want to see anybody else. And I understand that part that you don't care anymore. But with guys who can compete in two-way classes, both welterweight and junior welterweight, there's an infinite number of choices. And I mentioned this on the MMA episode one that I did. Um... 
Danny Garcia is out there. Amir Khan is out there. There's all kinds of guys they can just if, they, if they're willing to have him fight Chris Algieri, you know they'll give him just about anybody. Then you know, I mean the guy fought a lot of dudes um, that were fun and that were interesting, but he's had a lot. They both had a lot of fights. Who are just like, oh my god, for real. You know, you want to see somebody you care about. That's why Mayweather versus Canelo was so fun. I was there for all those festivities. I've never seen, I've never seen enthusiasm like that. I, and, I, and I've said it once. I've said it a thousand times. In mixed martial arts and in boxing, there is a huge appetite for a super fight. And nobody is delivering. Everyone's missing the boat. Mayweather versus Canelo was about as close as I've seen. And you saw the results. There is a dying. Everyone's like, oh... Combat sports is so niche. Combat sports is so niche. Well, that's true. And part of the reason why it's so niche is because everyone in the space either can't or won't give the fans what they're looking for, a super fight. And that's not easy to do. I'm saying it as if this is some sort of like matter of procedure. You just show up and fill out a, 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 a document and you can make a super fight. I understand it doesn't work that way. It's hard to get everything done. But that's what's missing. Folks, folks want to see big fights. That was as true in the 1920s as it is, you know, in 2014. There's a big fight feel atmosphere that is missing. It's totally missing. And partly it's because there's not as many heavyweight stars. And, and partly it's because the sports have, the, uh, you know, boxing has declined from its heyday. And MMA is, has risen from where it was, but still has a certain level it hasn't quite reached yet, at least on a general level. Okay, fine. But... Part of it is also that you've got these stars that people want to see collide, and for whatever reasons, either promoter fault or promoters have tried and they can't make it happen, it's missing. It is hugely missing. And I'm telling you, the first person, the first promoter to really get in on that is going to make a ton of cash, a ton of cash, and it's going to make huge waves, and it's going to do a lot for their sport. It's, I just feel, I, I, I know it to be true, man. I know it to be true. They're fatigued with humdrum. Fans are fatigued with, okay, that's interesting. Get something that makes my eyeballs pop out. That's what they want to see. That's what it's always what they've wanted to see. And you have to make it happen, one way or the other. DC versus Jones on the ground. Do you think DC can keep Jones on the ground long enough to cause serious damage? Or is most of this fight going to be at range, standing and occasionally clinch work in the cage? Um, I think you can hold him down a little bit, but not long enough to do a whole lot of damage. Um... That's what I think. I think that on the ground, he could probably, if he was, if, you know, Jones is working from butterfly guard, DC is going to have incredible base. It's going to be hard to get off of him or move to the side. And because Jones is tall, it's going to be hard to get his body to turn to scramble. You know, I don't mean turning away, but, you know, the, one of the ways you have to stand up is you have to get your feet either under you or to the side of you. And um, that's going to be hard to do against a guy like Cormier who's going to be all over you. But... I don't know that Cormier would have savage grounded pound either. Um, I, I think it would be a bit of a stalemate there. So the question for me is, what happens at range, which I don't think Cormier is going to let him fight at very much, and what happens in the clinch against the fence? That, to me, is really the issue. In the clinch or in the clinch against the fence, either or. Is Cormier going to level change and at least threaten to take down even if he can't get it? Is... Um, Who's going to be more offensive there with strikes? Who's going to be more offensive there with elbows slash knees? Who's going to be able to turn the other guy and hold him there against the fence? To me, that's going to be a big clinch battle. A lot of dirty work is going to be done there, less so on the, on the ground, because I just don't think either guy is particularly offensive there to have enough of an advantage to win a round. Belfort believes he is a better fighter without TRT. This is so ridiculous, I'm not even going to comment on it. 
I mean, what an absurd thing to say. Yes, I feel better about this thing that is, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm, not, I'm not even going to get into it. I'm just not even going to get into it. Luke, isn't Diaz versus Silva a super fight? Again, pretty close, pretty close, not quite. It is, uh, it's a very admirable effort. I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying it's not a good thing because it is. Uh, but um, I would argue that um, it's just a shade shy. It's just a shade shy. That uh, Diaz coming off the losses, he's a beloved figure versus a beloved figure, so it meets that criteria. But it's a little shy, and it sounds like I'm bagging on it. It's a great fight. Don't get me wrong. It's a huge fight. It's just a little shade shy in the sense that it's not that next step up guy. There's a step up from Diaz, and you aren't mixing those two guys. That's the issue. All right. True, false. UFC 181 does under 350,000 buys. Um, for reference, Jones to share did 350, and Hendricks Lawler did about 300. UFC 181 does under 350,000 buys. I will say true. Maybe not much under, but under. Uh, Mayweather Pacquiao will take place in 2015. I just think false. John Jones has a special ability of knowing whether or not a comedian committed rape 30 years ago just by meeting them. God, what a stupid thing that was for him to say, right? Uh, even Dana White will be watching the Patriots game over McGregor Seaver. I doubt he'll be doing that, but he'll probably have it on. Although they won't be taking place at the same time. Gustafson versus Jones. Gustafson won... Rounds one and three. Joan round, Jones won rounds two and five. The fourth round decided it all. Gustafson was outstriking Jones for four minutes and 20 seconds of that round until one elbow came along, which stunned Gustafson. Naturally, he was forced to back up and managed to avoid the majority of Jones's attacks. Jones landed maybe one or two punches afterwards, and Gustafson lost the fight. How can one elbow and an attempt at of punching the opponent a few more times in a 40-second... Uh, what? Okay, I know what you're saying. In my opinion, Gustafson is a light heavyweight champion. No. Um, you say, how can one elbow? One elbow can end the whole fight. One punch can end the whole fight. This idea that we landed only one punch. Well, what does that mean? One really hard punch? One jab? One punch that grazed you? One punch that barely touched you but cut you? Uh, one punch that broke your ribs? One punch that broke your jaw? One punch that broke your eye socket? One punch that blinded you? I mean, what does that mean, one punch? The question is, what did he do to him to not only hurt him, but to advance his causes of finishing him? I mean, let me ask you a question. At the end of that fourth round, who was closest to getting finished? Gustafson. Not even debatable. He got rocked with that elbow. It hurt him bad. Immediately had him backing up. None of the punches that landed on Jones did that. Which isn't to say they're ineffective. There's its own measure of effectiveness. But I think the issue is... Um, you know, when you are fighting in an MMA fight, it's if one guy is outstruck for four minutes and 50 seconds, 
that's kind of impossible to deny, right? There's a certain amount of volume there that's just hard to overlook, even if he lands a hard punch in the last 10 seconds that, say, floors his opponent. That would be a harder thing to measure. 40 seconds is a little bit easier because, one, it's a longer time frame where Jones had that little almost minute under his belt, but that's the side of the issue. The issue for me is who came closest to getting finished? Who pushed the other person to the furthest precipice? Pretty easy call there. John Jones pushed Gustafson to a much further precipice. The damage that Gustafson did to Jones before that is not impossible to, uh, cannot be disputed or removed or ignored. It has a certain accumulative value there. But even in that accumulative value, what did it do to him that that elbow didn't? The elbow was the most significant strike, not just of that round, but of that fight by either competitor. That's a fact. It was a fight-altering elbow because it also allowed Jones to basically win the fifth round from there on out. Now, fatigue set in on both guys, and Jones did what he did, but that elbow cannot be ignored. So when you say one elbow, you're saying it as if, like, well, one is less than two. One is less than five. Well, okay. But one huge punch is a lot more than 100 little ones. I'm not saying that Gustafson threw 100 little ones. I'm just pointing out to you Arguing one as like a numerical value of absolute fighting value is something you cannot do. Let's see, champions. Seems fairly obvious that the UFC would rather have Connor as their featherweight champion. I don't know why it's rather obvious. If you were running the UFC based on money-making ability, health, and star power, who would you make champion in each division? That's funny. I'd keep Kane at heavyweight. Uh, I would keep Jones at light heavyweight. I'd put Anderson Silva back at, <laughs> at uh, uh, maybe not. But you get the idea. Anderson Silva's a bigger star anyway. Um, at welterweight, we assume GSP is gone. Um, maybe Rory. At lightweight, Pettis. At uh, featherweight, Connor. We're just talking money, right? At uh, bantamweight, Dominic. And at flyweight, we're just talking money, like Ian McCall. You know, I think you would do a little bit more than those other guys. Uh, obviously, keep Rousey. Um, and for the straw weights, that's a tougher call. Uh I want to say Joanne Calderwood, but I'm not. Oh, Rose Namajunas. Who is your fighter of the year so far in 2014? Maybe Will Brooks. Maybe Fabricio Verdum. Crazy predictions for fighter of the year in 2015. I don't know, like Matt Brown or something? I don't know. I never do those things. You just never know what's going to happen. Somebody's going to show up, though. True or false, no matter at which weight Rory McDonald was fighting, his weird jab would neutralize the majority of his opponents. That's true. Uh, Dana White hates Tito Ortiz more than he hates Roy Nelson and Ken Shamrock combined. Maybe he used to. I don't know about anymore. Disabled fighters would draw more attention and views than the majority of the fighters in the 125-pound men's division. 100%. Stipe Miocic will beat Junior Dos Santos by wrestling him down for five rounds. False. Fedor and Krokop in their prime would have been the biggest threats to Cain Velasquez. Uh, 
in their prime. I don't know about that. Let's see. Let's go to Twitter. What's your favorite side dish on Turkey Day? That's an important question. Um, my family makes a lobster mac and cheese. That's pretty good. That'll put some weight on you. Um, should Junior Sagano get a crack at the Fabrizio? Or should Junior Sagano get a crack at Fabrizio Verdum if Kane can't heal by May? If he can beat Stipe, sure. Um, someone's asking how you follow the BJJ scene since y'all apparently hate that talk. I will answer that question on, um, on my own after the chat. Oof, y'all are sensitive about that. Sensitivo. All right. Luke, do you have any minor annoyances when watching MMA? Minor? <laughs> For example, I always roll my eyes when a fighter, clearly in the wrong set of a 30-27 decision, raises their arms immediately after the fight ends. Waiting for the scorecards to be tallied. Um, I hate when the media gets blamed for anything. That really just just drives me crazy. Not to say that the media does all, all of a sudden this amazing job, but that, you know, when media is blamed for a fighter saying he was misrepresented or for, you know, damaging this or causing that, it's like, it's just, I mean, blaming the media is when you, when you literally have nothing else to say, that's what you say. I hate that. Um... I hate face the pain. I can't believe UFC still uses it in 2014. I just, I just, it's hilarious to me, and not in a funny way. Um, minor annoyances. Um, it's partly true and partly overstated when MMA and oh, I tell you one thing that drives me crazy. Is when there's some pro wrestling event, and then all the guys I follow in MMA, which is a pretty narrow list, you know. And they all tweet about, you know, some WWE event that's going on. Drives me just, you know, I just want to delete my account. Um, that's bad. What else does annoys me? Um, anything that happens in the cage? Uh, high-fiving all the time when guys are fighting? That drives me crazy. Can't stand that. I don't mind one or two, you know, but, you know, when you're up to three, Okay, three strikes and you're out. You just both lose right there. And you should lose all your purse. And your, your home should be burned. And you don't get the insurance money. Things like that. Uh, Ali Act. Look, a couple weeks ago in the MMA Beat, you guys talked about Sam Kaplan's article regarding the Ali Act. In one of the older Dana scrums, Kevin Ioli asked Dana whether they should have the Ali Act. And his response was the fighters have audit rights. Is there any comparison with audit rights in the Ali Act? Audit rights are simply if you have um, pay-per-view points and you're owed a certain amount, you can go and verify that they paid you properly. UFC is not going to steal from you. That has nothing to do with whether or not fighters, either through the Ali Act or any other measurement. Uh, and by the way, audit rights is a small component. Ali Act is much more expansive than just that. But, um, you know, that's not an answer to me. Sorry, it's just not. I mean, listen, guys, I don't know how many times I have to say this before someone starts believing me. I'm not, and I'm, I'm not making it up. Fighters have very few protections in this sport. There are very few laws and regulations and market forces, frankly, that protect fighters. 
I don't mean the very elite ones who are, can, everything will take care of them. I mean everybody else. You've got fighters setting up GoFundMe pages so they can afford to go compete in a professional organization. To me, that is insane. It's absolutely insane. It's insane. Uh, among a variety of other problems and conflict of interest with sponsors or various lesser promoters. Any number of things. Guys, what should fighter pay be? I don't know, but we can't figure that out until we have fighters on a more even playing field at the negotiating table. And until then, you just don't know the answer to that. You just don't know the answer to that. Oh, Luke, but that might curtail business. That's right. That means we've had business this whole time that was on the backs of fighters and who weren't reaping the rewards of it. Guys, we are operating in a space that is, I won't say it's anti-fighter, but it is very much leaning against them. Very much leaning against them. Partly for promoter convenience, partly for sponsor convenience, partly for fan convenience. And when I say fan, I'm looking at me too, because that's what I am. Um, it, it, the, the, no one gets whored on an aggregate basis more than the fighters. This is just a fact. This is just a fact. So, you know, all these questions about audit rights. That's great that you have audit rights, and, and maybe it's valuable. I'm not saying it's totally irrelevant and has no value whatsoever. It has minimal value. It has minimal value relative to what actually is the problem, to what actually is the issue. That's, that's what's going on here. Contracts. Is Brock Lesnar still under contract with the UFC? I don't believe so. Long after Strikeforce was gone, the UFC revealed that fighters like Gina Carano and Herschel Walker were still under contract. Can the UFC keep these contracts forever and restrict fighters from going elsewhere? Um, they can if they're still owed fights. Could they end Vanderlei's career just by not releasing him? Yes, which they have effectively done. Also, if they're a champion, there's a champion's clause as well. This is interesting. Conor McGregor in, uh, I'm assuming it's pronounced Croke Park today, which is a huge stadium. And there's Conor posing off in the middle of the field looking like James Bond. Uh, Almeida Henry fight team with fighters like Edgar Barboza, Moraes. Why do coaches uh, Ricardo Almeida and Mark Henry get no love compared to other small successful camps? Um... I don't know, you know, they're quiet, they don't do a lot of media, no one there is a champion, I know Edgar used to be, but he's not now, um, oftentimes the guys who are in that circle, uh, Henzo winds up getting the credit, because he's sort of like the, the nucleus in which all the other camps are built around, you know, um, that's part of it, you know, like for example, Gary Tonin, who just competed at Metamoris, Gets all this credit for being this and that, and he always wears the Henzo Gracie, you know, uh, uh, logos. But he's a Tom DeBlast black belt, and Tom DeBlast is sort of from that same lineage. But you get the idea, you know. It's not, um, it's not the same thing I, I, exactly. He didn't go to Henzo school all the time. He goes there to train sometimes, you know, uh, especially when he's got a big match coming up. But no, not all the time. Um, I don't know, you know, but I still think that these small camps have value. These small camps where you get a lot of attention paid. If you can get high-level coaches, like Almeida's done a lot for. I just thought Edgar's jiu-jitsu in that fight was incredible, man. Because he's not, he, he did what Jake Shields did to Roberto Satoshi, you know. Like, Edgar is doing, you know, underhook, knee-cut passes. But he's setting them up relentlessly. He's always on you. He's never giving you a space to breathe. And he's finding ways to flatten you out. And 
Um, you know, these are not complicated passes. You know what's happening. When the underhook gets driven, the knee's coming on the other side, you know. And, and Cub knows that. Cub's a black belt, but Cub couldn't, couldn't stop it. It was, it was amazing. And his ability to hold mount the way he could, too, you know. Keep, like, it's funny, man. To keep a black belt, Cub's jiu-jitsu is totally underrated. To keep a black belt like that on his back is, is <laughs> you know, and for a small guy like Edgar, who his own coach, Henry, called, he called up the Sirius XM Fight Club one day and said he could definitely fight a bantamweight, like no problem. For a guy who could fight a bantamweight, to be able to hold Cub down like that is beyond impressive, you know, beyond impressive. So, you know, to your point, do they get enough credit? No, absolutely not. But, you know, they're not in big – not that Coconut Creek is, but Coconut Creek is so big with ATT. I don't know, these guys, they kind of fly under the radar. They don't make a lot of noise themselves. Almeida's a judge, but, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't do a lot of interviews. Um, Laborio does more interviews now than ever. Greg Jackson's a bit of a celebrity. He's done TV shows. Um, uh, Faraz Ahabi is sort of similar in that way, and so these guys sort of stand out, um, and they're bigger camps. But these smaller camps, I remember Chris Weidman saying he likes the smaller camps. Like, you know, Sarah Longo, I wouldn't call it a small camp, or I wouldn't call it a huge camp, but I wouldn't call it exactly a small camp either. I'd call it maybe a medium-sized camp. But Weidman's point was that he's able to get all the attention that he needs that he just wouldn't get at a big camp, and, and they have the money to fly in sparring partners now. So he's really in that sweet spot where he's not around a bunch of monsters trying to kill him all day, but he gets the training he needs at the same time. You know, he has been injury-prone a little bit here, but not, not too much. Um... Your rally for Edgar. Wouldn't it be promotional malpractice to not book Aldo versus McGregor, provided McGregor wins in January? I don't know that I would call it malpractice, no. Again, at some point, everyone's there's – this, there's this urge in MMA, and I don't think it's wrong, but there's this constant urge to be like, what's the big money fight? What's the big money fight? And I, and I made a case for it earlier in this chat. Um, but when you're an organization like UFC, a sports organization – there is a certain amount of sanctity around a certain amount of things. And you can breach it at times, but you really don't want to go past a tipping point. You don't want to create too many belts. You don't want too many title shots to be, eh. You can fudge a couple, man. You can give Jones versus Sonnen. But then you, but then you better, you better give Jones versus Gustafson. And you better do Jones versus Teixeira. And you better do Jones versus Cormier. You know? So that there's this perception that you maintain of, you know, um, we just won't mess with too many good things. We won't mess with the inherent value in too many good things. And I'm sorry, if you put McGregor ahead of Edgar, you're messing with that inherent value. That doesn't mean it doesn't have other benefits. That doesn't mean that's a long-term ruination. I'm not saying that. Um, But that's sort of where you're at here. It's not just that one guy has a better resume. It's that what are you saying by treating the guy with the lesser resume better. Maybe it makes more sense aggregately, and I made the case that it kind of does here a little bit. Um, but you can't be so flippant about it all the time. It is, people want to say, well, you did this X thing one time. Why can't you continue to do this for any number of times going forward? It doesn't work that way. You can't do that. You can't say, well, there was this one case, and therefore we should just throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can get away with it a little bit, and finding that balance is hard to do, and I think that's what the UFC is struggling with. How does, by the way, maybe Connor beats Seaver and doesn't look that great. Have we considered that? Because everyone thinks he's going to go in there, and I think he will too. You know, I, if I had to bet, I'd bet that not only Connor's going to win, he's going to win impressively. But hear me out. What if something goes wrong? What if Connor goes in there, and yes, he wins? Doesn't look all that great. 
has to kind of grind Seaver out. Maybe Seaver rocks him a couple times. You're going to say this is the guy you're going to give a title shot to? Maybe you do. I don't know. But that makes the decision a lot more difficult. I think what they want is for Connor to go in there and blow the doors off of Seaver and then get the microphone and give them no choice. They want to ride that wave of momentum. Because what happens after fights? People lose their minds, right? Oh, X beat Y? X is the number one fighter in the division right now. I don't care what anybody says. Oh, Y lost? Y is trash. It happens every time. There's these wild swings right after a fight, right? Inevitable. So, um, I think that's what they're waiting for. I think they're waiting for Connor to go in there, bludgeon Seaver. Connor's going to get on that microphone. He's going to do what he does, and they're going to say, look at this wave of momentum. We're about to just surf. And given the kind of year they had in 2014, it is an understandable thing, provided, provided that after that you better put the guys who were the winners and the real contenders up against whoever wins that Aldo McGregor match. That, to me, is key. Rematches. Do you think these following rematches are going to happen anytime soon, and who would win it? Welterweight. Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler. God, how many times have I said I wanted that rematch? Are they going to do it? (laughs) Who does not want to see this? I almost want Diaz to lose to Silva, and I almost want Lawler to to lose to Hendricks just so they'll put those two together. You want to talk about a, a fight that... I think is being slept on like it's no one's business. Not that people aren't necessarily talking about it. I don't think it'd be great. I don't think they appreciate the greatness of what it could be. Phil Davis versus Gustafson. I don't think they would do it. Uh, Condor versus McDonald. I would. That's a good one. Wow. I would favor McDonald until I see how Condor looks coming back from injury. Rockhold versus Jacare. I would still favor Rockhold. Dodson versus Dillashaw at a catchweight. Um... Probably favor Dillashaw, but I don't know about that. He was, getting, he was getting tuned up a little bit by Joe Soto. Catchweight, Cruz versus Johnson. I would still favor Cruz. Uh, Melendez versus Thompson. I would still favor Melendez, I think. Yeah. Foot stomps. Paige Van Zant was using some real old-school Marco Huas foot stomps. I've never had it done to me, but it seems like it would suck. Why is this technique not utilized more widely in MMA? Also, the fight was awesome. Please talk about it. Um, I will talk about it in the next question. But as for foot stomps, um, foot stomps don't work against anybody good. Because what you're trying to get them to do is both feet on the ground. If you foot stomp them, they lift. When they lift, that enables you to get under it without having the level change. And you can then turn them for a single. Or then you can then use it to wrap their knees together. or Any number of different offensive opportunities from there. Um, It doesn't really work against anybody good. Like, people always ask, like, you know, oh, how come no one tickles each other in jiu-jitsu matches? And to me, it's like a serious question because it doesn't work in a real match. When you're full of adrenaline, it doesn't work. All right, Paige Van Zant versus the lovely, this is his writing, not mine, uh, Kaylin Curran. What did you think about the fight? Do you think that this fight will help put female strawweight fights on prelim and main cards in the future? Um, where do they both go from here? Who would like to see them fight next? Well, the good thing about women's strawweight is that it's just wide open, which is great. Um, very excited about that. So where do they go from here? They have lots of good fights ahead of them. That's fine. Um, what did I think about the fight? I think that the fight was very good. I think it's a 
hear me out now, a touch overrated. Just a touch. Not hugely overrated. Not, oh my God, overrated. A little bit overrated. Um, they were on, I thought that their placement on the card was actually totally appropriate. These are two people who are still very much in the early stages of their career. They cannot be trusted to put on the kind of product that, say, Green versus Barboza could, although Green sort of, I mean, that's not the best example. How about Ortiz versus Benavidez? Right? It's a high-level product you're looking at there. Those are elite world-class fighters. And these two women are certainly deserving of maybe being among um, the UFC strawweight division. But my only point there is there were some real technical gaps there. You know, and it's easy for me to get here. Oh, they're, they're not hiring me to corner them or train them for the fight. But I just mean, uh, you know, you got the real general sense from watching that fight that they were. What made the fight great was there was enough technique to sell it. It was hugely spirited. It was back and forth. It was action-packed. But I'm always going to sort of lean on the side of people who are more technical and still can deliver most of those things. It's a balance of things when you're watching a fight. How much action is there? How much damage is being caused? How much momentum swings are there? How much interesting things are you seeing? And you've got a lot of that. On the technique side, it's a little low. Not all of it being low. I mean, I thought some of the ground and pound from Kalen Curran was great. Um, I thought the tactical approach, or I should say the strategic approach, that well, a little both actually, that Van Zant had in constantly getting Kaylin against the wall and just grinding her out and wearing her out. Winning with cardio is a real thing. And it was more than that, too. You know, she had the head pressure and was just constantly banging on her. You know, that, that, that is also a key component. So I really respected that, too, you know. And they, and they, were, and they each landed hard, you know. Uh, good knees in the clinch from Van Zant, And, again, good ground and pound from Kaylin. Um, it was a really spirited fight. But I just mean... I would dial back the enthusiasm. Seems to be like at a nine or eight or eight or a nine. I would dial it back to like a seven, which is still a great score. I just don't want to. It's to me, um, you know, was Edgar versus Swanson as exciting as Van Zant versus Kern? I think some folks would say it wasn't. Some might say it was. Some might say it was better. I'd be one of the ones that said it was better. For me, I will always side with. You know, it's interesting that Curran can throw the legs to the side of Van Zant and then come over the top with one of those right hooks and land that sucker flush. That was great, you know. But Van Zant didn't put up enough of a fight with her legs. She kind of just got pushed aside. That's inexperience. A thing on technique she needs to work on. That's not so interesting to me. A basic guard pass, underhook on the right side, passing to the – or underhook on the left side, passing to the right – by Frankie Edgar, that doesn't look as pretty. That is infinitely harder to do. And still kind of pretty itself, actually. And then taking them out, that is just so incredibly difficult to do. Sometimes you get both, right? You get that Odell Beckham catch, right? You get both. But um, if I have to lean a certain way, and this is my preference, maybe you don't feel that way, my preference is I'm always going to lean to the people who have a harder task of making things look pretty versus people who make things look pretty against people it's a lot easier to make things look pretty on. Um, let's see. Was Frankie versus Cub a preview of what would happen in a matchup with Connor? Again, we don't know how Connor would react against a wrestler of the caliber of Chad Mendez or Frankie Edgar, but my feeling is that, yes, he would be on his back quite a bit. Uh, good question. Luke, you often talk about international expansion, oversaturation, <clears throat> and boom and bust being problematic for the UFC. Well, MMA generally. But could international expansion protect against boom and bust in individual markets? Um, I don't think so. Um, because once you have this period of tremendous growth, you have to then maintain the market. And when you have all of these different sort of fathers to answer to, 
with a product that is not very large, you then thin it out, which creates always other problems. So no, I don't think so. I mean, and so in one, I think some international expansion buoys that. I think going into Brazil has been good, although they haven't been able to maintain Canada this past year. That was they lost a lot there. Part of my point, um, you know. So it's always good to have a few irons in the fire, but you never want to have so many that you can't balance them and 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 nurture them. And I think that's where people don't understand my argument. Go into the places where it makes sense to go into, but don't extend yourself so far that you then lose the capacity to make sure that you have quality across all your different um, entry points into these various markets. Does Mendez deserve a title shot? I haven't heard that one. He just had one. Mendez had a good run of wins when he got his second shot at the title, yet he never faced anyone in the top five. The division was a little short of contenders at the time, but the rematch was definitely the most interesting fight they could make. McGregor has defeated the number five guy, and assuming he beats Seaver, will have two top ten wins. The fans and media made little to no noise when Mendez got the shot, yet the thought of McGregor getting a shot makes people sick. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Um, Edgar has looked really good of late and just beat the number two guy in convincing fashion. When it comes down to who deserves a shot off the course, it's clearly Edgar. However, do we really want to see that fight happen over McGregor-Aldo? Oh, we've already talked about this. You said did Mendez. Oh, rather, did Mendez deserve the title shot? Well, you answered your own question. You can only fight the guys they put in front of you. And they can only put the guys in front of you that are available. That's it. So I agree that um, you're going to have this floating criteria of what determines a contender in 2014 versus 2016 in each division. You know, look at what John Jones had to do to go through to get a title shot and then what other people had to go through to fight him. Look at what guys have to go through at heavyweight or flyweight. It can be different for each division and it can be different for each year. Look, like, look what you have to do at welterweight to get a title shot. It's impossible. It's not that hard to get that title shot in flyweight, you know. Um, so to your point, yeah, there's shifting criteria. There's not one criteria and that changes in each division and over, over the years. Um, but what you wind up seeing and what you want to feel for, and you get a feel for this, I think, maybe more so in media because you're just constantly diving into material. But you fans know, too. You just get a certain feel around a guy. And I know it doesn't sound like a great answer, but it's sort of like, does he pass the smell test or not? The problem with, was when Mendez was surging up, it wasn't just that he was beating these guys handily. It was that he was doing so with a new set of tools. The rest of his team was using those new set of tools. And you just got the sense that there was this general momentum coming out of Team Alpha Male. And to your point, there weren't as many guys available for him to fight. So it just sort of felt like the right thing. Now, the problem for McGregor is imagine if, imagine if Frankie Edgar was doing a reality show now. It wouldn't be much of a question. Mendez just lost. Lamez just lost before that. Looked good against Benavidez, but that's not enough. Connor's out there just kicking ass and taking names. You give it to Connor. It's not really a question. Cub just lost, right? Poirier got beaten by Edgar. Or, I'm sorry, um, McGregor. But once you have an active Edgar in there, it becomes an obstacle. It becomes a roadblock. It becomes something you have to contend with. You can't just ignore it because you can say, well, this guy at a different time in the calendar year and really for the division got an easier road. That might be true, but that's not what we're operating in now. It's what makes the most sense at the moment for the next fight. What do you do? And so you try to get a feel for things. And the feeling is that you have two guys who have two very different claims. Some overlap. You know, they've both beaten good guys. I think we can all admit that. 
but who have two very different claims to the title. One has beaten very good guys, would be as a promotional powerhouse and, and a burgeoning star. One is a former champion who has beaten much better guys, but doesn't really offer the same kind of interesting narrative. It's a bit of a, it's a, it, well, not a bit of, it's in fact a redo. Um, and, and you're trying to answer what do you owe it to the product? What do you owe to the sport? What do you owe to the state of the business today? And what do you owe those athletes? And in answering those questions, whichever side they go to, you're going to get a lot of answers. Um, let's see, UFC 183. Luke, what are your thoughts on the UFC 183 card with the recent addition of Lazan versus Ayakinta? It's not Quinta, by the way, which is at least an interesting fight. How do you think the card compares to other pay-per-views? Let me pull that up because I haven't even looked at it recently. Uh, let's see. All right, Anderson Silva versus Nick Diaz. I mean, impossible to hate that. Woodley versus Gastelum. Great. Tate versus McMahon. That should be good. Boach versus Lighties. Terrible. Uh, Tiago Santos versus Andy Enns. Don't care at all. Jordan Mean versus Tiago Alves is interesting. Uh, Hitcherson Morera uh, versus Ildemar Alcantara. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Uh, probably not that interested in that. Uh, Diego Brandao versus Jimmy Hedis. That could be interesting. And then Rafael Natal versus Tom Watson. Don't care. Then now you add in Lazan versus um, Ayakinta. Uh, it's getting better. Not bad. Three, four good fights on that card. Five, maybe. Yeah, it's pretty good. I give it a solid B plus. And for you know, listen, that month is I'm going to give an A plus to the the month of UFC. I'm going to give that an A plus to. But um, that card I give like a B plus with like an A minus main event. Maybe that's unfair. Maybe it's an A-plus main event. I don't know. Uh, going back, someone says... Hold on. You said Croke Park correctly. should check out the history. It's a GAA stadium where the people were shot by the British in 1920. Wow. That sounds horrible. Uh, all right. Well, the Irish, they hold grudges, don't they? I kid the Irish. Yeah, so 183, really good. Give it a B plus. Maybe, maybe I'll give it an A minus. No, B plus. Uh, all right, Connor Hype. If Connor loses before he gets a crack at the title, do you think the hype dies down exponentially? Um, it dies down a lot, but... Connor is a force to be reckoned with now and for later. They're going to find a way to give him a title shot one way or the other, man. It's going to happen. He's not going to be a Michael Bisping. Is it fair to compare him to Broner, who after he lost to Maidana, Broner didn't get the same hype? Um, that's a good question. Wow. Yeah, but Broner also had some other bad performances. Where he didn't look that good. Let me pull up his record. So it was more than that. Because if Broner had had some better comeback. Um, yeah, the Maidana fight hurt him. Um, he beat Taylor. And that went okay. No, Taylor gave him all he could handle. 
And then the Molina fight. Oh, I didn't see the Molina fight. That's a good question. Um, hmm. I think it's a little bit different. I think that McGregor is generally beloved. He has a nation at his back, which is different. Broner was seen as something of a buffoon. I think Craiger, Craiger, I think McGregor is seen as something of a rising tide. And you can, I mean, that's why some of the, why the, some of the Chael Sonnen uh, comparisons, they just don't work, you know. Um, also, Broner was being compared to like, Part of what the Broner problem was was that he wasn't just sort of this loudmouth who wore crazy things and put out the most horrible sex tape known to man. Um, it was that he was compared to Mayweather, right? Like, oh, this is, not, you know, this is the next Mayweather. Look what he can do. Look what he can do. And I think he was like not just the money team but like the billionaire team or something like that. Um, and when he lost to Maidana, he just lost that measure of credibility. Now, I suppose in Conor losing to a wrestler, you might get some of that. The, 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 if he, he was just laid on, and not just laid on, but like guys passed his guard and got from Mount and just made him suffer in certain ways, then you might, you might find that, you know. Um, but even then, I don't think it would go to the same degree, this unrecoverable degree. McGregor can learn to get better at wrestling, at least defensively enough, I think, unless it's really bad, which I don't think it's really bad. But if it is, but I just don't feel it's the same. I think McGregor has taken, I mean, for all the hype and stuff, McGregor is taken seriously in a way that Broner, Broner was believed to have been taken seriously, but was like, there was a, there was a undercurrent of just loathing around him that you don't really see with McGregor. Question, is the UFC changing Dana's visibility? I think Dana's changing Dana's visibility. Seems there's been a distinct drop in his media presence. It's, that's not an accident. He's doing it on purpose. He says he's only going to do real media. That's fine. He was on the Dan Lebertard show, you know, uh, to promote one, UFC 180. But, you know, the problem is the majority of media that cover MMA regularly are just MMA media. You know, if you're not going to talk to them... And I'm going to talk to other media. That's fine, you know, especially when a big fight comes around, hopefully on SportsCenter and things like that or Fox Sports Live. But those opportunities are not going to come around very often. That's why I just don't understand him. I mentioned in the chat last week, it's like, if he doesn't want to do the, the scrums anymore, entirely his choice, you know, what can you say about it? You can't make anybody do things they don't want to do or, or they feel is bad for them. But to me, I just don't understand it. You know, even if a couple sides said things that they didn't, he didn't like, you know, you report on what they say, not what they feel like they said. And moreover, I thought everyone basically did a pretty good job of representing him accurately. At least the big sites did, for the most part. Um, and he he defined so much of the narrative of everything, and had such a continuous presence. And when you remove that, you let other people fill that space. I don't really see how that's beneficial to him. But if he doesn't want to do him, he doesn't want to do him. You know. Anthony Johnson. If Jones cannot take Anthony Johnson down, Davis couldn't. Would you consider Anthony Johnson a favorite in a fight between the two? No. I, you guys can hate John Jones all you want. I think he will figure out any kind of way to beat Anthony Johnson. And by the way, I think he can't take him down. Jones is the more diverse striker, 100%, and he's got a much bigger reach. If he used that reach well with the jab and then the kicks, it's Johnson that's going to have to find his way in, not the other way around. By the way, can we talk about that Bill Cosby thing for just a second? When he said that, you guys know me. 
I've defended John. I continue to defend John because I feel like, you know, was he 27? I was 27, you know, I'm 35 now. And I, you know, very few of my mistakes get magnified in, in ways that, like that, you know. So I, I'm understanding of that young men say incredibly stupid things. And, um, you know, like Marion, Marion Barry just died, and he, he made a point in his redemption tour in 94 um, that, you know, the difference between your mistakes and my mistakes were that my mistakes were on Front Street. Fair enough. Have I had friends that said things as equally stupid as John Jones? Yes. And the fact is, if you're being honest with yourself, you probably do too. You probably have a couple knucklehead friends that probably said things like, why would Bill Cosby have to rape? He's Bill Cosby. Not understand that, that has, that's not how rape works. Um, yeah, it's a pretty poor understanding of the way rape works. Okay. You know, so I am partly forgiving of him. On the other hand, you know, how many times does someone need to, how many mistakes does he have to make in terms of saying things like that before someone's on his team? It's like, John, if somebody asks you about something you don't know about, which he admitted at the beginning of the question, please don't talk. Just don't say anything. No good can come of it. So you know what? It's a, it sounds like a very difficult issue. It's not one I'm uh, hugely familiar with, so I'm going to decline comment or I don't know. Or just keep walking. Just don't say anything. You know? And again, I'm never going to walk back ever that uh, people was like, oh, what? <laughs> you think people only dislike John Jones because he's black, which has never been my argument. My argument has always been that among other factors, an inability to be forgiving of him um, is partly, I think, a function of racial dynamics. I don't, I would never, I'm never going to take that back. I don't think that's just true in John Jones's case. I think that's true among um, uh, 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 black people in this country generally. They're just not forgiving. There's not forgiven as much for their mistakes as, as, as whites are. I, I firmly believe that. You don't have to agree. It's fine. But that aside, this is where the other component comes in, where I will agree with all of you who don't like John Jones and don't say anything. When he said that, I was just like, John, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? How could you say something like that? You know, and then he's got this yes man with him, high-fiving him after he does the impression. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> so bad. So bad, man. It was, I couldn't believe it. You know, totally just absurd to the nth degree and i really hope that someone on his pr team was like john here's the thing not everything you say is funny or clever or insightful or cute maybe some things are that ain't one of them okay We're talking about a case where you have nearly 20 women over the course of decades accusing this guy of uh horrible and unspeakable crimes maybe it's best to decline comment maybe it's not good to, to defend someone like that even if you think it's the case, just shut the F up. UFC fighter media obligation. Seattle Seahawks running back, Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, was fined for not talking to the media, and it's in his contract. I know the UFC removed Nick Diaz in a main event spot for not talking to the media. But is it in their contract to talk to the media or is it pressure from the UFC to talk to the media? Uh, it is not in their contract that I'm aware of. And the only reason they're upset with Nick Diaz is because he was there to help promote an event. This is not the same as you have to talk to reporters after a game. It's not, not even remotely the same. And, you know, they find, well, it's for multiple incidents, but they find Lynch $100,000. UFC can't 
you know, they can't make guys do that because then they can't force financial penalties to make them change anything. Rashad Evans' future. Who should be next for him? Glover, Bader, St. Pru, Phil Davis too. I'm very curious about what Rashad can still do in the division. Can you see him in another title run, or is it not too soon to put him as a gatekeeper? I think he's on his last legs. Um, he might have a couple more good fights in him. I would give him St. Pru. I wouldn't give him Bader. Glover, maybe. Um, but I wouldn't. Or Gustafson if Gustafson loses. But that's it. UFC video game. For the UFC video game, were fighters compensated? I don't believe they were. Uh, or do we have an Ed O'Bannon case on our hands? From my understanding, they were not compensated. But I am op- I'm not saying that as fact. If someone has a better information, please correct me. But my understanding is that they were not paid. Um, the UFC seemed to only use their Bruce Lee advertisement to sell the game. Did the UFC pay the Bruce Lee camp for using his likeness? Uh, quite a bit. And not just for this game, but remember they have a line of shirts that they sell at the UFC store that combine UFC imaging with Bruce Lee imaging. Let me tell you something. The Bruce Lee estate guards his imaging and his likeness like a hawk. So I think you've seen it in that car commercial, uh, right? That car commercial. It was like a, it's the, it's the, uh, was I think it's a Dodge commercial or maybe it's a Mazda commercial. Um, he was also in that watch commercial, the uh, the Samsung watch. Um, but they guard his his likeness ferociously. So UFC probably had to pay a pretty penny to to do that kind of thing. But it benefits him right because it makes him relevant again. Oh, he's the founder of mixed martial arts. Well, it's not really true. Not to say he wasn't an accomplished martial artist and obviously as an actor and action star, but it's not really true. It didn't come from Bruce Lee, but um, it sort of makes him very relevant in a way. UFC without pay-per-view. Luke, I know you've talked about it a little bit in the past in this chat, but what would it take for the UFC to abandon the pay-per-view model? Massive, massive, massive television rights fees. Uh, let's see. True or false? If there were no more pay-per-views, by the way, what would, what, what would happen? I think you would have more events, unfortunately. Because pay-per-view is what is, forces them to kind of... I mean, they would still have marquee events, you know, but it would, they wouldn't be under as much pressure. If they got a massive television rights, only if it was like if the massive TV rights came in the form of certain contractual demands. So, yes, we're going to pay this amount for, let's say, 30 events, but 10 of, the, 10 of those have to be tentpole events where you just blow it out. And then they have to be headlined by champions and, you know, that kind of thing. True or false? Michael Bisping would find success at welterweight. False. He's too big. If Kelvin Gastelum beats Tyron Woodley, he receives a number one contender fight. He might. If John Jones loses to Cormier, the UFC will not give AJ Gustafson winner of the title shot due to Jones being dominant in the division so far. It depends how he loses. Quentin Jackson will go to World Series of Fighting soon. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, he still has fights under his contract in Bellator. By the way, I didn't get to make this point on the MMA beat. I mean, isn't Quentin Jackson just so? Is a he's just a he's a character man. Had a falling out with Pride. Had a falling out with UFC. Had a falling out with Bellator, and the only promoter he likes in the whole business is Bjorn Rebney. He's like the opposite of everybody else. People love Pride. They love UFC. They, you know, Bellator's changing, right? They, they get a, more people are liking what they're doing. And no one likes Bjorn Rebney. But Quentin Jackson, 
Exactly the opposite. It's really funny. Um, if George St. Pierre came back and Lesnar came back and they were headlining a show together, it would do huge numbers. Uh, yes, but it would not reach UFC 100, but it would do big numbers. Ben Henderson will never get another title shot, but will always headline Fight Night and Fox shows and give almost anyone trouble. I won't say never, but I will say what you're saying is largely correct. Which cards are you looking to more than anyone else, man? I'm, I, again, you can like what you like. If you're a big Nick Diaz fan or whatever, you can like what you like. I cannot wait for Jones Cormier, man. That, to me... There's nothing like it, dude. There, uh, I, I, that, I, that is the best the sport has to offer. And I don't know what's going to happen in that fight. It's truly a fight I can't pick. I don't know if it's because I think too highly of Jones or because maybe I think too highly of Cormier or too little of Jones. I don't know where, I don't know where my allegiances go with that one. Um, but it's the very best the sport has to offer, and I really can't wait for it. And I don't care if anyone – I mean, I hope all these outlets cover it. Don't get me wrong. I hope it does huge, huge, huge numbers. Um, but I don't care if it's watched by no one but me because that, that is the, that you want to talk about the premium product. That is the premium of the premium product. That is the very best that MMA has to offer. It does not get better than that period. So that's what I'm looking for. The rest of the card could be filled with seriously tough China tryouts. That's how bad that card could be. You could have Jones Cormier headline and the rest be tryouts for the ultimate fighter two in China. And I would still buy it, and I'd recommend it to all my friends. Yes, the co-main event is a yoga instructor. Uh, you know, versus a personal trainer at Crunch Beijing. Fine, as long as Jones Cormier is headlining, I do not care. Seriously, <laughs> you could put Jones Cormier on as a headliner, and then for the first three hours just have two girls one cup on rotation and i would still wait until that main event that's how good that is that is so good i can forgive just about anything mma media ranking fighters in the top 10 that are outside of the, of the ufc um is it really justified now that we've seen several instances where mma media ranked top 10 lightweight eddie alvarez and mma media ranked top 10 middleweight hector lombard when given the chance at the big show, don't meet up to the media expectations and rankings. Yeah, but that works both ways. You know, how about when the guys from Strike Force came over and they just bombed on people, or even WEC, same thing. People just want to point to Bellator like this is the first time this has happened that a fighter has matriculated over and had some struggles. Well, no, fighters have matriculated and had struggles, and fighters have matriculated and kicked ass. It works both ways. Shouldn't beating a top ten fighter be a prerequisite for a fighter outside the UFC to even be mentioned in the top ten list? Uh, I would say I would say almost always yes, but not 100% yes. Um, UFC has 99% of the best fighters. No, they have 90% of the best fighters. Let's cut the let's cut the whole. Oh, I don't want to see them in UFC. I don't want I don't want to seem UFC biased and make it seem like I'm politically correct. So I'm going to put a Bellator fighter in the top 10 rankings of the weight class. The talent level from what we have seen is significantly different from the number one organization and the number two organization. It's only getting bigger. That's true. And you could say that um, maybe Alvarez maybe Alvarez and uh, Lombard were over, overrated slightly. Um, I wouldn't have much of an issue with that. But all I would say to you is that this idea that every time someone comes over, they just bottom out is not true. Men's straw weights. 
What do you think about the UFC adding a men's strawweight division? I dread the day. I mean, at some point, it's inevitability. It's an inevitability, excuse me. But we are not at that point. And to have one now would be disastrous. Uh, let's see. Am I pumped for 2015? I'm pumped for January. Put it that, put it that way. Joe Riggs, how well do you think he can do in the UFC? Not particularly well. Hope I'm proven wrong, though. He seems like a good guy. Um, Al Iaquinta versus Joe Lazon. I think at this point, that's a tough fight. Iaquinta is not a shop worn. I think Joe's been beaten up real bad in his career, you know? Um, not that he just goes in there and takes an ass whipping all the time. He goes up there and he gives him, he hands him out, too. But even in fights where he's won, he's taken a lot of damage. He's had a lot of injuries. Um, so, you know, his body just can't hold up like it used to. Iaquinta is not there yet, but Joe is more skilled. So that's a tough one. Really, really close fight. I might lean towards Iaquinta, but, um, but Joe is nobody to be – Joe is no one to, to F with. Uh, prediction on Real Madrid, Basel. 4 nothing Real Madrid. Luke, do you think Ronda is effectively challenging how women are perceived in the media, or is she just reinforcing some of the problematic conceptions of beauty femininity found in modern media? I remember Ronda criticizing the media for portraying men as sexual for, excuse me, men, for portraying women as sexual objects, but with these recent nude photo shoots, it often seems like she is taking part of the very exploitative system she had issues with. Where do we draw the line? Boy, this is a very difficult question. Um, is she expressing her sexuality individually or is she sexually being exploited? I don't think she's being exploited. I think it may be both. It, seems, it also seems female MMA fighters are accepting these problematic conceptions of beauty just to get some recognition. What do you think? I think, um, I think, it's, I think it's 70, 30, 80, 20 with, with Rousey. I think in many ways she is clearly challenging conceptions of, I don't know, female beauty per se, but certainly female identity and female strength and female... Um, empower and, and you know, she's reinforcing different notions of female empowerment. And I think she's often spoken to that directly about if a little girl can see her and know that they can do anything, then she's doing good. And I think that's really true. Even my own sister, who knows nothing about sports, much less MMA, um, had heard about her and finds her story very appealing from a general general sense and perspective. I also don't think there's anything wrong with women being beautiful and then using that as a means to market themselves or even in some ways define who they are. Um, but I think it's also true that she's sort of feeding the machine uh, with these photo shoots and these other opportunities that a machine that is based on the idea of, um, you know, uh, the preeminence of beauty over other things, the objectification of women. So I think there's a little bit going on there. But as a balance, I think she gets it right. I, I do think that on balance she is uh, empowering women, changing perspectives and views on what it means to be a strong woman um, and – and I think all that is a pretty good thing. I will say, though, that we sort of live in a world still where a woman being attractive is much more beneficial for their career than it is for a man being attractive. Certainly in, in – uh, I mean, that's, that's true in all lines of work, but it's – unfortunately, but it's, re, it's dramatically true in MMA. Um, let's see. It's a complicated topic, so I apologize for giving you that short of an answer, but that's the best I can give you in this – Narrow window. It's a complicated question, though. Uh, real quickly.
if Edgar Swanson had lasted five more seconds, what would the scorecards have read? 50-45, 50-44, Maybe 50-44. Is it fair to threaten Kane with removing his title while allowing Pettis Cruz to hold on to their belts for so long? Yes. They are not the same situations. And then last but certainly not least, do you think if we had a male with the same judo skills of Ronda at the start of the UFC that would have had the same effect? I, I can't believe folks don't understand this. There are plenty of guys who have fought in MMA with much better judo than Ronda. Much. <laughs> We've had many gold medalists compete from judo in MMA. Makoto Takimoto. He didn't get very far. Ronda is very good and has a skill set that is a little bit more applicable to MMA than even guys like Takimoto. But we're talking about like judo, judo skills. Ronda is, is – there are many men who have gone into the game better than her. Paolo Nastula, a lot of guys. Hidehiko Yoshida. I can uh, uh, Oya Ogawa. I can go on about these names. So ease up on that. All right, guys, we have to get going. But I want to thank everyone uh, for checking this out on a uh, pre-Thanksgiving edition of this chat. Um, follow me on Twitter at SBNLukeThomas. I appreciate it. Um, email me at Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com. And uh, be safe over Thanksgiving. Uh, gain weight, it's fine, because you can lose it when the weight with the Thanksgiving is over. Don't drink and drive and do all the things that you need to do to uh, be safe and uh, get home safe. Um, If you need to call a cab after getting hammered at the bar, please do so. Until next time, uh, I am Luke Thomas. I'll be back next week. And uh, I guess, I don't know, RG3 is a disaster. Stay frosty, guys. That was the worst exit ever, wasn't it? Peace.